you remain standing as we honor the reading of God's holy word. It comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Listen to the word of the Lord. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the hope May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may be you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, uh, we pray that my words would be your words, that all of the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. As uh, we begin to come to the close of Romans, I want you to remember the big picture that Paul has laid out for us in chapters 1 through 11. The big picture is this. Because of their faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, together in Abraham's family, has become a new humanity, and it's being transformed by God's Spirit. And that is how God has chosen to fulfill his ancient promises, his covenant promises. Therefore, the only reasonable response for these Jews and Gentiles who are living in Rome is to be unified, to be one. Paul shows us that this unity will come from a commitment to love and forgive one another. This love will be manifested by everybody using their spiritual gifts to serve one another in the church. And it will also require humility and forgiveness. We saw that last week when these dif different ethnic groups, remember, 
Um, they had some conflict, but what was required? Um, forgiveness, that they would come together in Jesus. And we saw that this conflict was inevitable. We saw that, we see this in the history of the church. And it's only overcome by the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is how we show the greatest virtue of the Christian faith, that is to love. And it is the Torah's greatest command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So last week we looked at the uh, Jewish food laws um, and the Sabbath keeping practices. These were causing disputes. And we learned last week that these disputes don't define who's in and who's out of the family. We weren't learned last week that um, when we disagree on these non-essential issues, the way forward is to love one another so that we can heal Jesus' family. And I think this sums up Paul's idea of the new creation itself. It is to be symbolized by the whole church, united and holy. New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright calls this section, this piece of uh, Romans, he calls it the theological climax of Romans. Paul hoped that every Christian would be a loving example of this. Paul hoped that every Christian would love one another like Christ had loved us, how we had been accepted. And Paul hoped that we would be a new creation, right? As Daniel said earlier, we're new creations. The old has passed away. See, everything is new. And this is going to be a signpost for the world, right? Um, it, it points to a larger reality, right? Uh, N.T. Wright continues. He says, Paul longs to see a heaven and earth event, the temple event, happening once more. The Messiah's sacrificial death has already occurred. A gift of love for the whole world and the temple, this temple, can be a place of reconciliation. Note that this work of the Messiah is Jesus himself giving of himself, giving up his rights, his privileges. And he must, for all of us, serve as a model for energizing our church and our Christian lives. As we look at our scripture uh, this morning, we can see the full sweep of prophetic and messianic narrative. And when I say that, we, we see, you remember Paul said again, again, again. He's making citations to the Old Testament. But early in that section, he quotes first 69, uh, Psalm 69, 9, which vividly describes the unjust, unreasonable suffering of a righteous man. And because of the many references to Psalm 69 in the New Testament, we, we look on this psalm as being messianic. Um, it mirrors, really, the life and devotion that Jesus had for God. Paul says, Jesus came to earth 
to endure the punishments and the guilt and the incense, uh, insults. It, it was really us that should have endured this, but he endured it. God's son, the sinless one, but he endured it to create a new day in which we can accept one another. In effect, Paul is saying that he's asking the strong. You remember the weak and the strong. He's asking the strong that it, it's their, their sacrifices are nothing, nothing compared to the abuse Jesus suffered for the sake of others, for the sake of us. Paul cites several Old Testament scriptures. If you do pick up that study guide in the back, I have them listed so you can study these. They're basically all talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God, right? So there is, there's oneness, right? We have been engrafted into this tree, which is Christ. Now, I know many of you probably lived uh, through the 60s, and you knew that in the 60s there was a lot of cultural upheaval. Um, there was wide gaps uh, between younger and older generations, both in attitude and in appearances, right? Well, there was this guy at Wheaton College. He was the president of Wheaton College. His name was Hudson Amerding, and he had fought. Uh, for our country in World War II. And as a member of this generation, he was conservative in his grooming and in his attire. Um, and he kind of despised this counterculture uh, counter movement, right? Uh, <laughs> we might call them hippies, right? He didn't like the hippies. Um, he didn't like it at all. He thought that it represented, you know, uh, people that were unpatriotic, uh, people that were draft resistors, flag burners, and alike. And so he didn't like it when the students at, at, at his college dressed in this, what he considered to be grubber, grubby, uh, countercultural fashion. And he also thought it was unbiblical uh, that men would have long hair and beards, right? And uh, so anyway, the staff at Wheaton was really trying to permit a kind of, a, I don't know, uh, a degree of liberty and grace for the student body uh, on, this, on this matter, especially dress and, and grooming and such. Well, Armading was scheduled to preach at their chapel service one day, um, and that before that, they gathered for prayer. And in this prayer meeting, a young man walked in who had a beard, he had long hair, and he had a sash around his waist. And you can imagine, Armadang was not too happy with this. Um, he didn't have a good attitude about this young man. And lo and behold, this young man sits right next to him right? So they're praying, and uh, this young man actually began to pray. He says, Dear Lord, you know how much I admire Dr. Armanding, how I appreciate 
his walk with you. I'm grateful for what a man of God he is and how he loves you and how he loves your people. Lord, bless him today. Give him liberty in the Holy Spirit and make him a real blessing to all of us in the student body. And help us to open our hearts to hear what he has to say. And may we do what you want us to do. Lovely prayer. Well, as Armading was walking down the steps into the chapel area, um, God spoke to him. And after he had finished his message, he invited this young man to come up on the platform with him. And to everybody's shock and amazement, because they thought, oh, he's going to kick this kid out of the school. Um, he's going to make an example of him for the whole student body. He doesn't do that. What he does is he embraces him and he hugs him and he welcomes him as a brother in Christ, right? Well, this broke up the whole chapel service as students stood and they applauded and they cried and they embraced each other. God used this simple act of this one man laying, a lot, laying aside all his prejudices, right? And it turned the mood of the campus to one of greater love and acceptance of one another. And Armading later found out that this student dressed the way he did, wore his hair and his beard and this sash so that he could reach out to kids who were from his generation who were alienated from God and the church. Well, in these days of political turmoil and strife, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of dreading the upcoming elections. I mean, it's just kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it bugs me. <laughs> um, and I've, I have to admit, this scripture is very convicting to me because I've had a hard time accepting other people who have, you know, different political views in our in our country and even probably in our church. Um, I think the series that Pastor Steve taught on how to vote was really helpful to me. Um, clearly, divides are even coming into our church on these issues. And I think it's vital that we hear what Paul is saying to us today. I think Paul is appealing to the fundamental core of the gospel, hoping to call these Jewish and Gentile Christians to their senses. Perhaps it'll call us to our senses too. Jesus has to be our example for unity. Jesus is Lord of all. And so Paul is writing largely to a Gentile audience of Rome, and they, like us, are not among God's chosen people. But they have been accepted and welcomed by God through Jesus Christ, making us new creations, right? We, through our baptism, are one people, no matter our ethnicity, our gender, our background, or our heritage. Like I said earlier, we have been engrafted into the tree. We've been engrafted into God's family, right? which is the tree is Jesus Christ. So Paul is essentially saying to these people, hey, 
This is how you got into the church in the first place. Paul's language echoes for us um, Philippians 2, right? It's all about having the mindset of Christ Jesus. There was conflict in the church at Philippi too, right? And he said, let's have a mindset of Jesus, right? And so reflecting on that, we perhaps can think of things, right? Jesus, he died, right? He sacrificed himself, and he he had this despicable, horrible death, and then he rose again to glory. So reflecting on that, perhaps we can think of things in our own lives that maybe we could do many sacrifices of. You know, maybe we could, you know, um, sacrifice the need to get the last word in. Maybe we could sacrifice our desire to always be proven right and to prove others wrong. Maybe we should just sacrifice our right, our alleged right, to always um, speak our minds. Maybe we ought to be silence, uh, silent instead so that we might keep the peace. I know we all have hard times um, letting things slide. But what if sometimes it's the only way to stop something from, you know, blowing up in our relationships with one another? What if it's the, what we need to do to stay in good relations with one another? To, to accept one another, as Paul advises here. So such mutual acceptance will bring glory to God. We'll be able to glorify God together. Do we ever think about our conflicts as, you know, hindering the glory of God? I don't think that's how we think. I mean, we might worry about our reputations, but I don't think we think about how our reactions to others and our conflicts might hinder the glory of God, right? But Paul thinks that there is a connection here clearly. In 1 Corinthians, he told the Corinthians, remember, knock it off. Stop your arguments, your bickering, your lawsuits, because it's reflecting not badly on you, but on the Christ that you are trying to glorify. It looks bad on us when we, as the body, cannot get along, right? We need to shine forth Jesus' glory to the world. And Paul says again and again, you are baptized. You are one in the Lord. Now act like it, right? And when you do, you will be filled with joy and peace and finally filled with the hope that God desires us all to experience. Paul concludes his gospel with uh, a prayer and a blessing. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you you may abound in hope. Paul wants us to be filled with this kind of hope because of what Christ has done for us. Because hope means looking to the future, right? None of us knows what the future will bring, right? 
I mean, we can be anxious about it, but we need to be trusting in God, knowing that God's wise and faithful hands has our future secure. And we know this because God keeps his promises, right? He keeps his promises. And here we see this in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He keeps his promises. That surprising event ushers in the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables this future to be realized for us. Jesus appeared in the resurrection, and it becomes for us real for us in our lives and through God's world. N.T. Wright shares a little I saw this on my, I don't know if you have this app on your phone, but I've got this, um, what is it called? What's my app called? I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, I got an app on my phone. And um, I just, I searched on Romans 15, right? And uh, there was a video from N.T. Wright. I'm, I know it's been a lot of N.T. Wright today, but I, he's helped me. Um, he's been great. Um, anyway, he shares the story. There was this emperor, Trajan. I don't know if you know Trajan. Um, he was the emperor not long after Paul's day. And um, you can see in Rome, Trajan's column. That's there on that picture there. That's Trajan's column, right? It used to have this statue of Trajan on the top. And this, this Trajan uh, column kind of talks about all his exploits and how wonderful he is and all this kind of stuff, right? But you know what? It's not Trajan's statue that's at the top anymore. You know who's on the top? St. Peter. St. Peter's statue is on the top. God's will will not be thwarted, right? The kingdom of God established through the self-sacrificing uh, love of Jesus triumphs over the empire of man. I'd like to conclude with another powerful example of what it means to accept one another. Um, it comes from Rebecca Manley Pippert. She writes this book, um, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. She shares the story. She goes to Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon, and she begins to work in campus ministry. And she met this student named Bill. And Bill always had this disheveled appearance. And uh, he never wore shoes. He was always barefoot. In the rain, in the sleet, in the snow, Bill was always barefoot. Well, Bill became a Christian. And, but his appearance really never changed, right? And one day, he decided he was going to worship at this church in Portland. And uh, it was near the campus, but it was made up of mostly well-dressed, middle-class people. Maybe it looked a lot like Mountain View. One Sunday, Bill decided to worship there, and he walked into the church with his messy hair, blue jeans, his T-shirt, and, of course, bare feet. And people looked a little uncomfortable, uh, but no one said anything. And Bill began to walk down the aisle. Well, that day, the church was full. It was very crowded. And so he got all the way down to the front, and he didn't find a seat, so he just 
plopped down on the carpet. And <laughs> which is, you know, probably okay in a campus ministry Bible study, but for this church it was a little unnerving, right? And people were kind of uncomfortable about this. And then this elder of the church, an older man, starts to walk down the aisle. And people are thinking, oh boy, he's going to give this guy, you know, a talking to, right? That's not how you dress when you come to church, young man, and throw him out, right? Well, the, the old man comes down, and every eye is on this guy, right? He's coming down the aisle, and what does he do? He sits down next to the young man. Took him a little while, but he sat down there, and he worshiped with him, right? I mean, there was not a dry eye in the church that day. That elderly man was practicing what Paul was talking about here. He was accepting that young man because he knew that God had already accepted him. And when we do that, when we love like that, God is glorified. Let us pray. Lord, uh, we pray for harmony with one another, for the pleasing of one another, for a building up of each other, so that with one voice we may glorify you. With one voice we may proclaim the good news of your love in Christ for sinners. Loving Father, our hearts rejoice as we realize the depth of your love, the love you have for us, the love you have for your people. You truly are our glorious God of hope. And we thank you that this is not the doubtful hope of the world, but a definite hope that is securely founded on your unchangeable word. Enable us to share this truth with those with whom we come in contact every day to the praise and glory of your name. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and